Hello, everybody. Hi, welcome to What You Need to Know But Didn't Want to Read. I'm Maria Smalley. I'm Tina Shannon. And today we're going to cover Chapter 8 of Ryan Grimm's book, We've Got People, The Dream. This chapter begins with a brief look back to the 90s and early 2000s when the argument about immigration was shaped a bit differently than what we see today. In 2005, President George W. Bush, with Senators McCain and Kennedy, were hopeful to pass real reform on immigration. Being a governor of a border state, Bush knew the real difficulties with our immigration system firsthand and was unafraid of being accused of being soft by working for reform. Contrary to what we see today, Democrats were the party against immigration reform, led in the 90s by who else but Rahm Emanuel. Okay, so that's that's a background going into the um, 1990s. Um, but I think it's also really important to remember part of what has caused this refugee problem goes all the way back into the um, 70s and 80s, which um, is with the United States supporting dictators, bloody dictators in Central America and even down into South America, um, and training death squads at School of the Americas. And I just wanted to tell about one of the most moving things I've ever done was I went to uh, School of the Americas watch annual protest that they used to have at Fort Benning, Georgia, which is where the death squads were trained. And uh, on Sunday morning for the, for the protest, um, Father Bourgeois would read all the names of all of the people killed by people trained in this country at the School of the Americas for the death squads. And uh, it took hours to read all the names. And then uh, there was a big pile of little white crosses with names on them. And there was a big procession and you would just walk around in a circle and pick up a little cross and walk it back to the, the gate, the, um, the, the wire gate fence and the chain link fence and put the cross in the chain link. And eventually the whole gate was filled up with the names of people who were killed, the people trained using our tax dollars. So that's one of the very beginnings of how Central America was destabilized mm -hmm. and their civil society was destroyed. And now you can see that so many of those governments are run um, by military, like not even military people, but just flat out death squad people. Right. I bet that was really powerful to see. It was. To be it able was, to see all the names on the crosses and have them covering the gates. Yeah, everybody was quiet. People were crying. It was really, <sighs> it was very... It was something. It, it it was powerful. Yes. That's what brought us to where we are today. Mm-hmm. Yep. And a bunch of other economic policies, too. Mm-hmm. All right. So, while George W. Bush, Senators McCain and Kennedy were pushing for real reform in the early 2000s, there was a group of hardline Republicans led by House Representative Jim Sensenbrenner, who would set the tone for the future of the party's immigration stance by drafting legislation in the House. It was co-sponsored by Peter King, a Republican from New York, and this bill called for no pathway to citizenship, no protection for people already here, no guest worker programs. Uh, it criminalized immigration violations that had once been just civil cases. 
It turned visa overstays into aggravated felonies, made it a felony to help anyone in the country illegally, and funded new fencing at the border and a surveillance program for the interior of the country. It's like a policy not even based on reality. Right. It, they, I don't think they could have written a more extreme bill than this one. They were met immediately with backlash from the Congressional Hispanic Caucus, but the CHC struggled to unite against the bill because who else but Rahm Emanuel showed up and basically threatened their leader, John Salazar, with lack of DCCC support if he didn't vote in favor of the bill. Now, Emanuel's strategy was based on the idea that the bill would never pass the Senate and Bush had no plans to sign it. He thought it would cause an outpouring of the Latino community involvement in the 06 midterms. And he thought because it was Republican written and sponsored, it could be a weapon that the Democrats would wield against them. And then came December 2005 when the bill was passed with the support of 203 Republicans and 36 Democrats. I thought Rom was a political genius. Right. How are we supposed to know how that stuff worked? Oh, I, I don't understand anybody that called him a genius. He wasn't, he wasn't very good at looking beyond more than a few months in right. advance. Like, oh. So this move, it sparked nativism that is the same nativism that brought us Trump in the 2016 election, but it also sparked massive protests all across the country. As a reaction to the protests, right-wing media then erupted and ICE responded by deporting more people in the last two years of Bush's administration, specifically targeting the organizers and the protesters. And I think it's important to also remember that ICE is a new, newer agency. ICE hasn't yeah, been there forever. That is not something that we've, that was formed in 2000, probably technically 2002. Right. As a response to 9-11. It's not something that the founding fathers put into our country. This nativism surged also as a response to the progress that had so far been made by the immigrant rights movement. At that time, the movement was focused on building capacity and winning over big labor. During the summer of 2002, the AFL-CIO actually officially embraced the cause of immigrant workers in the U.S. Yeah. However, by 2004, they were already backing down from that support for reform. Right, right, right. Which is sad. Right. Well, yeah, I think that uh, there's always that constant push and pull of, like, mm -hmm. organize the unorganized. Right. Or gather the wagons around and defend what we, what they – because they've been under attack so much. Yeah. They ha labor has been under attack for – over a generation now. So it puts them in a hard position. The immigrant rights movement goal was to win the votes of the congressional members and the public by using a strategy that relied very heavily on assimilization. They pushed the idea that all immigrants were good people, family people who shared the same values of Americans and that they weren't criminals. They focused their messaging that immigrants were good and necessary workers. And while I'm not saying this isn't true, it is true. It was a whitewashing of their people to appeal to the white Americans. Right. It's like the policy. It's like, it's fine if everybody's just like us politics. Right. Right. <laughs> Why should all immigrants have to be model citizens when plenty of people who are born here are far less than model? Yeah. I often use examples of people from my family. <laughs> right. It's been my experience that the immigrants I get to talk to, they're, they're far more interested in politics, even if it's just um, they really see it as their duty. They take they don't take it for granted that we can do everything we can do here in the U.S. Whereas plenty of native born citizens, 
will literally just tell you, I don't have time for that. Right, right. And then but. plus, like, like I had, I had an uncle that was like expert at ripping off the welfare system. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like he was like, you know, a white guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. In 2007, Senator Ted Kennedy once again was pushing for legislation that would reform immigration. This time he was working with Arizona Republican Senator John Kyle. They put together a deal that would create more border security, more agents, more job center verification in exchange for a reformed guest worker program, and a pathway to citizenship for those here already without papers. The bill did face opposition from activists for being too harsh, but it had some backing from the immigrant rights groups, big business, and labor. It wasn't super extreme. It wasn't quite what activists wanted, but it was definitely a step back from the Sensenbrenner era. Right, right. It's interesting how the right, in their extremism, I mean, I think part of their strategy is to move, be so extremist that they move things so far to the right that they know they can't keep it all Mm -hmm. but then the concessions are like still to the right (laughs) like a good haggling strategy we're gonna ask for something so crazy that even once you compromise you're gonna give us what we really want right exactly yeah that's it right kind of like Rahm Emanuel on the other side he kind of does the same things right but he doesn't represent Mm. us like we don't get what we want because he's not he's actually not using us he's not using the left for a negotiating position. Right. He he's trying to dilute the left so that the right. right will come and compromise, even though we've seen that really doesn't it doesn't work that way. Right, That's not right. haggling. That's not real haggling. Right. He should use us as like those big bad lefties, like I have to appease them. Right. But he that's not how he works at all. <laughs> So when the Kennedy-Kyle bill made it to the Senate floor, the Senate used this really archaic role known as, known as the clay pigeon. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, reading about this was crazy. I can't believe that, like, this is an actual process for making laws in our country. I read it twice because I thought I didn't understand it. I did. I really had to reread this part several times because I was like, no, 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 no. This, Surely I'm misunderstanding. Am, am I reading medieval history again? Because I do love reading about medieval history, and this really seemed like something from that era. So... The bill is on the floor and they keep throwing out amendments, literally like a clay pigeon gets thrown to be shot at when you're, you know, doing target practice. The amendments to the bill are voted upon. And if a single amendment is passed, the Senate immediately moves to a cloture bill. That cloture vote requires 60 votes to end the debate and move toward the final vote on the bill. And the whole idea behind it is that the bill in question is so fragile, like a clay pigeon, that even a single amendment just destroys the whole legislation, which like makes no sense. I wonder, like, who thought of that? We should want as many amendments to come in so that everybody can feel like they're a part of it. Mm -hmm, Right. So Barack Obama at the time, he was a senator, and he co-sponsored an amendment with Senators Max Baucus, a Democrat from Montana, and Chuck Grassley, a Republican from Iowa, which would weaken the employee verification process. Their amendment was considered a serious threat to the Kennedy-Kyle bill, but it never actually came to a vote. Before it could be brought to the floor, another amendment sponsored by Byron Dorgan passed with a 49 to 48 vote. The Senate moved to the cloture, and that was voted down easily with 46 votes in favor, 14 short of the needed 60. Yeah, so I like even rehearing this again, it's hard. 
to clearly visualize. Yeah, it's so complicated happened. and strange. So it's almost as if, so, so clearly they wanted it to be defeated. Yes. Because the clay pigeon thing means that it's likely to be defeated. Whoever came up with the process was literally like, this is what you use to destroy amendment bills you don't want passed. Right. Um, Seems like there'd be an easier, more straightforward way to do it, though. Yeah. Any, almost anything could be more straightforward. <laughs> like, can we just negotiate? <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. Uh, so Senator Kyle was later quoted as saying he did not believe that today's Congress would ever be able to come to an agreement on immigration. That's crazy, too. Yeah. He said, and I quote, despite the progress he and Kennedy made, major issues remain largely unsolved. The issues of quotas from individual countries and major parts of the guest worker problem just never had any solution brought forward. So we have a government that just says, well, we can't do this. Yeah, we can't find a solution. So there's just no solution. Let's move on. It's essentially kind of what they do. Uh, this failure for reform in 2007 began to transform the way politics surrounding immigrant rights were being handled. At this point, dreamers and activists are becoming extremely restless. And when it became clear in 2008 that Obama was not going to keep his promise for immigration reform, dreamers really stepped up and began to put pressure not only on the White House, but also on the immigrant rights community itself. Right. And the dreamers were the young people who had been brought to this country as children mm -hmm. before they had any say so, any consent mm -hmm. and grew up here and went to school, graduated from high school, got into college and you know, like wanted to stay like they're the like the model minority thing. Yeah, they are. And they quotes. really embrace that uh, yeah. strategy. Right. Um, so like yeah, if if it's like the ultimate of like Doing everything you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And still having people say you should have to go back to a country you don't even remember. Right. I, I think it's real weird to talk about dreamers with people who are anti-immigration because I just, I don't, I can't understand why they think people who've literally lived their whole lives here should have to go back somewhere where they, they don't even know the language sometimes. Right. Just throw a young person, like, well, who, who does that? Who uh. would be like, yeah, who would do that? Standing in the way of the dreamers for the first two years of Obama's administration was none other than the reoccurring villain, Rahm Emanuel, who was known openly for having a long history of lacking in sympathy for immigrants. In 2009, the group United We Dream was formed by forming a coalition among youth organizations that had largely been shut out of the larger immigrant rights infrastructure. In the very next year, the more radical group, The Dream is Coming, was formed and began the path the movement has taken over the last decade or so. Uh, I thought it was real interesting that five undocumented people staged a sit-in at Senator John McCain's office to demand that he support the Dream Act, which previously he had supported, but was no longer openly supporting. Um, and four of those people were arrested, with three of the four being deported back to their countries. The Dreamer movement had split from the mainstream movement and urged the movement to follow their lead as they used the good immigrant na narrative while engaging in study-ins, hunger strikes, sit-ins. Uh, that December, after Democrats had been washed out of the House and lost several seats in the Senate, the Dream Act was voted on. Because the Democrats at this point hadn't destroyed the filibuster, it failed with a 55 to 41 vote. Senator and 
Keebler elf, Jeff Sessions, who would go on to run one of the most viciously anti-immigrant Department of Justices in modern history, accused the bill of rewarding illegal activity. Bear in mind, this is the Dreamer Act. Yeah, the focusing, illegal activity of going to high school, getting good grades. Yeah, they were. I know several of the leaders of them were like in Stanford. That was a big thing right, right. over in Stanford. Just craziness. That December, Obama finally reached out to Congressman Luis Gutierrez for ideas on how to protect immigrants and their rights because he knew that he was no longer going to have power in Congress. Remember him from? He was in the Rainbow Coalition that helped. Yeah. That, that worked on the um, Jesse Jackson yep. campaign. Another when he got another started. graduate of Jesse Jackson. When they returned to se session in February of 2011, their ideas turned into drafts for executive orders that would reverse the administration's advisement of prosecutorial decisions. Gutierrez told Grimm, Ryan Grimm, the author of this book, about how he met the new chief of staff, Bill Daly, who was genuinely concerned that illegal immigrants would be able to immigrate to the U.S. and marry citizens to gain their own citizenship. I've heard similar stories, too, when discussing immigration with people, particularly my, like, conservative family. Yeah. and because that's such an easy thing to do. It is. It's so easy to just push it off on that. But I can't believe how many people are convinced that there are all these American citizens willing to marry poor mm -hmm. immigrant workers just to give them citizenship, that it would even really make a difference. There might be some out there. Right, right. You might, yeah, yeah. Uh, someone might meet an immigrant person and fall in love and get married. Right. But, you know, you're not, there's no money in it. Like, there's not, <laughs> it's not going to be something people are, why would anyone do it if they weren't in love? Why would somebody want to step into that place They're, of poverty like it's, it's it's an impoverished person it's like it's a it right it it's not unheard of for citizens to marry immigrants but en masse just so that they could become citizens like that doesn't happen it just doesn't it, it doesn't make sense it's like no it doesn't make sense no and most of the immigrants they're speaking of are really are like just the poor workers who are coming across to have work in like southern california and doing all the work that we don't want to do anyways right the, the work that's hard that pays low mm -hmm. and is often backbreaking labor and most of the times they don't even want to stay in the u.s those workers they right. actually want to go back when the season is over to be with their families in mexico and they haven't been able to because mm -hmm. of the immigration policies actually keeping more people who would go back and forth right I wouldn't blame any of them for not wanting to go back right now when there's a real good chance you're going to just end up in a, basically a concentration camp. Right. For X amount of however, even though you are like, I want to go home. I've also read that humans, humans have, for millennia have been migratory. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, you know, humans like just really haven't stayed in one place like that. They're traveling for work mm -hmm. and weather and crops and things like that has actually been pretty normal human part of the human experience. Oh, yeah. Especially the farther back you go, everybody right. was always moving. You went where you needed to go. However, this mindset of the White House chief of staff in 2011 is a pretty good insight into how even the highest echelons of government think about immigration. These are the things they're concerned about. Instead of focusing on the humanity of the people trying to cross the border and cross back. 
When the DREAM Act failed on the same day that Don't Ask, Don't Tell was repealed, activists began to rethink the strategy that they had been using to fight for immigration rights. Instead of pushing the idea that immigrants are good and necessary workers who fit into the American dream, they chose to redirect the conversation to being about fighting oppression. The new motto became unafraid and here to stay. Many activists also began to see the fight as more of a culture war and became determined to win over the people culturally. And they thought that was their new real way to find real legislative wins. Right. Uh, Pulitzer Prize winning journalist Jose Antonio Vargas came out as undocumented in 2011 as a in an effort to win the culture war. He also launched a media platform called Define American dedicated to sharing the stories of immigrants. I often think that maybe the Democratic Party should try something other than the Rahm Emanuel strategy. Yeah. Like, let's go big on principles and if they're doing the right thing if the republicans want to be this right wing about it i say we just show up and go all right everybody can come that's where you have to start compromising with us right and if, right right maybe right. then we can maybe find some meat in the middle area i grew up in a union family i know that you ask when you're negotiating mm -hmm. you, you always ask, ask for more <laughs> right i got quite a bit off my uh, subaru outback when i bought it because i just told the guy mm, I'm going to go somewhere else. That's a little too high for me. And it really wasn't. But I wanted him to go down some more because that's how you negotiate. Right. In 2013, the Senate was finally able to pass comprehensive immigration reform with a 68 to 32 vote. However, this progress was for naught because House Speaker John Boehner was an, unable to control the right wing of the Democrat Party. And the reform was shot down in the House. Boehner never even put the bill on the floor for a vote, despite the fact that Obama really had a lot of his reelection thanks to that went to the help that the strong Hispanic community support in 2012 gave him. Right. One other really important thing I found in the chapter was that uh, when Obama took office in 2009, he was really optimistic that as long as he played tough while being willing to compromise, he would be able to bring Republicans to the table. Uh, in 2011, he still had the mindset of that, despite the multiple times Republicans made it clear that they had no intentions of working in good faith anymore. To shape the narrative, Obama began playing a numbers game with immigration. Previous to Obama-era policy changes, immigrants who were sent back at the border were not counted as deportations under even the Bush administration. You, they just That wasn't considered a deportation if you never made it past the border, really. To make his administration seem tough on immigration and earning himself the nickname Deporter-in-Chief, Obama changed this and began counting all those people as deportations as well. Thanks, Rom. Right? <laughs> it made it seem like more people were being deported than before, even though they really weren't. And this number game would come back to haunt the immigrant right. rights movement under the Trump administration. From 2017 to 2020, border crossings decreased exponentially. People stopped trying to come, but our deportation numbers remained the same. The Obama era policy gave the Trump administration the ability to aggressively focus on interior deportation without the numbers being overtly obvious as to what was happening. Which, oh. right, and it's, there's a big difference between stopping people at the border and just turning them around 
and rooting them out of their homes and communities in the interior of our country and sending them back. You know, and, and it also is like makes the progressive and the left wing of the Democratic Party invisible. Mm -hmm. Like we are the we are some of the most the hardest workers, the activists. Like I've been working on get out the vote work mm -hmm. my whole freaking adult life for mediocre Democratic candidates usually. Yeah. And so this this policy of appeasing the right, all it does is alienate one of the Democrats' strong base constituencies, yeah. which is us. And also the, the Hispanic community. Like mm -hmm. and the as you said, the right wing did not give way. Yeah. At they all. refused to ever give at, way. At all. So what yeah. Like, how long are we going to do that? I also feel that's a very big reason when I talk to some younger people, more millennial, they'll tell me, I, I don't want to be involved in politics because it's just two parties who do the exact same thing. And they're not completely wrong. Right. I always try to tell them, come over here to the Bernie side. Come to right, the Democratic right. Socialists. Right. We are different. Right, right. Um, and we but also it only sometimes see, works. And, and, and we see, I think we do see that the Republican Party was willing to go way further than the Democratic Party ever went right. by allowing Trump yeah. to be their president. So, I mean, now there's less of an argument that the two parties are similar than there has been. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, the Democratic Party, and I think that the Democratic Party is becoming more willing to make itself seen. Like, you know, we see that in, in a lot of the... Um, relief bills yeah the pandemic yep. relief bills and i think also after bernie's two big pretty successful um runs for president that also we're more visible yes yes so when the we squad being things, present the squad right so yep. yeah so over the past decade the only real accomplishments made on the immigration front were ones of stepped up enforcement and punishment and it didn't fix anything. The movement is now largely left without a unifying strategy or even a singular unifying demand. So this Wednesday at our study group, we will discuss the history of immigrant rights movements, but also the damage left by the Trump administration and the steps the Biden administration has been taking since taking office earlier this year. Right. Because this, is, this story isn't over. Last is, week, yeah. we kind of got to be excited because the LGBTQ, we really had a win at the end. Mm -hmm. There's right. no win here yet. We right, still need right. to work for it. This is one of the hardest issues in Western Pennsylvania, too. Um, yeah, which uh, makes no sense. What do we know about immigration? A lot, actually. Most of so many of the people, the, the anti-immigrant union people that I've known were older. Some of them were first-generation immigrants mm -hmm. who were, uh, you know, like saying that immigrants are coming and taking our jobs. So... For me, the answer to that was, well, let's organize them. Right. And like, okay, fine, let's organize everybody. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so in Western Pennsylvania, I have found this issue very, very difficult to talk yes. about. Um, I think it's strange when I talk to people from Western Pennsylvania and they cite things like violent immigrants who are criminals. Right. I just... Right. <laughs> even the little bit of violence we see at the border, it's at the border. We're in Pennsylvania. Right. Our border is Canada. <laughs> right, right. And then, you know, also, like, we we could 
help to also there are foreign policy implications mm -hmm. for you know withdrawing support from dictators right supporting civil society um you know making sure the trade bills support unionization and mm -hmm. civil society in the other countries like this is not rocket science right it's just a matter of making sure that the the everything we're doing is has more than just the bottom line of profitability Yes. You know, we have to spread out our concern. If we want this system to exist, then we have to spread out the, the variables that we're willing to look at mm -hmm. instead of just profitability, because we can see that it's not working that way. Profitability does not help humanity. Right. So we hope to see you at the study group. Um, you know, get in touch with me if you need a link. I will send the link out to everybody else also. Yep. Hope to see everybody Wednesday.